Hey, I'm Joe, and welcome to Content Marketing Commute, the podcast for European content marketers who want to go to a new level. It's a content marketing podcast with a twist. Think of it a little bit like Jerry Seinfeld's Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, but maybe a little bit less funny. Mixed with carpool karaoke minus the singing and hot ones minus the chicken. All about B2B content marketing. I, Joe, your host, interview expert content marketers in different cities around Europe on their commutes to work. Yes, that's the twist. We're not sitting down face to face or on a Zoom call, no. I join them literally walking, cycling, on the bus and train to their workplace. And on today's episode, I'm joined by Lindsay King. I'm in Paris to meet her. She is a startup marketer, XN26 and Uber. So she has heaps of amazing experience. She got in at Uber early on in the days in France when they were launching. And we talked all about the connection between brand and content. We weaved in and out of so many different topics It's a really flowing discussion and there's so much gold in here. Lindsay is a brand expert and there's so much crossover between brand and content today that I thought speaking to a brand expert on the podcast was going to be brilliant for all of us content marketers to understand how content plays a role in brand marketing today. I really do hope you enjoy this conversation and watch out for the second appearance of our It's All Backwards segment about halfway through this episode, where Lindsay has to walk backwards for about a minute to talk about something that's broken, that's backwards in B2B marketing and content marketing today. Enjoy the episode. Brilliant to have you here with us today. And uh, Lindsay, you're currently sort of on sabbatical, but you're a brand genius. We had an incredible chat, like our briefing call was fire. (laughs) Well, thank you. I'm so excited for this one. I'm excited to chat too. I was almost disappointed I didn't record the briefing call. Maybe you should start recording your briefing calls. Yeah, I think I should. (laughs) Awesome, Lindsay. Well, let's take a walk. First of all, can you tell us where we are? Yeah, so we're in one of my favorite parts of the city right now. We're at Palais Royal, which is next to the Comédie Française. You can see uh, you got some beautiful architecture here. The Louvre is right behind us. Um, And Palais Royal was actually built by, I believe, Richelieu under Louis XIII. So it used to be his residence, and now it's a public park and garden, which many of you have probably seen on Instagram. But they have a beautiful cafe over here as well. If you're ever in Paris, hit it up. It's the Café Nemours. One of the best... And we're going to stop in for a coffee there. Yeah, we're going to go later, but it's a really good people-watching spot. So, Love that. um, Glad to be here with you this morning. Brilliant, Lindsay. And you don't sound French. Whereabouts are you from? But you are French. Yeah, I'm not French by birth. Uh, I was born and raised in California. I went to UC Berkeley, graduated in 2010s, but I pretty much came to France right after. And I've been here on and... Well, mostly here for 12 years with the exception of uh, an 18-month stint back in California during okay. uh, the pandemic. Yep. But I was naturalized in 2021. I'm very, very proud to be a dual citizen. So, Amazing. vive la France. Vive la France. <laughs> yes. That's yes, a beautiful yes, yes. accent. You, you have it down. 
Uh, yeah, I've been studying French since I was 14, and I double majored in French Lit in university, and then I nearly PhD'd in French Lit. So, oh my gosh. Yeah, that's Amazing. a whole other story I could take you on. Wow. <laughs> Very cool. And Lindsay, you've, you've worked places like Uber yep. in 26? Uh, 2017 I started. Oh, in 26, I said. In oh, in 26. Sorry, sorry. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, thought, in, I thought I heard 2016. No, sorry, sorry. Talk us through a little bit your career and your background and like your expertise and stuff. Yeah, so um, I started my career right after my master's degree here in France. Yeah. At the time, it was really interesting because uh, digital was booming. Uh, it was 2013, and uh, a lot of French companies were needing and understood that they needed to find anglophones if they wanted to yeah. um, speak to foreign markets. So yeah. it could be obviously the United States, it could have been England, could have been Australia, New Zealand, um, or just you know for en English speakers around the world. So, totally, I found that in my career as a distinct uh, advantage. Exactly, here. exactly, and yeah. so they're often looking for native speakers and I was able to tap into that cool. um, to sort of get my foot in the door and I began my career at a very small content communications agency here in Paris called Angie which is pretty well known okay did my first sort of chef de projet role there yeah um, so you've basically had your whole career, I didn't realize you had your whole career basically in, in France. Yeah. Since I've, you finished I've, studying. Exactly. So wow. I more or less started my career here. Wow. Except, again, with a short stint in the States from 2021 to 2022, which yeah. is, again, another story we could we should dive into in a second podcast if you yeah. want to invite me back. <laughs> and more or less have continued on that path since. So I began in B2B, uh, very much working on corporate communications, that sort of thing, and transitioned over in 2015, 16 to, to more B2C. Yeah. I think that was because when you're 25 and you see everyone having fun with social media and doing what I would call sexy content yeah. with big production budgets, you get yeah. very excited and you're like, oh, I want to do that. Totally. Um, <laughs> that said, uh, I have a lot of thoughts on sort of as a content marketer, how do you choose your industry? Like, yeah. what sorts of companies do you work for? We can get into that a bit later totally. if, you, if you want. But uh, I learned a lot from that. So. Very cool. Yeah. And that's like you just mentioned, I'm excited to get into that with you because you've worked b2b and b2c yeah. i've worked only b2b and i think this this podcast is more focused b2b mm -hmm. but what we're going to get into is how more b2b brands are borrowing stuff from b2c and yeah it's going to be awesome so you no, for sure. got to stick around for that awesome um okay very cool so so that's kind of your career story today and you have had a big focus on the brand side right yeah 100%. Okay, so the first topic I want to discuss, obviously content marketing commute, we're about mm -hmm. content marketing. But content is tied up with so many different things in Ooh. marketing, right? Oh, yeah. I like to say it's the fuel. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's it's definitely, it's uh, I would say the lifeblood. The lifeblood. Uh, marketing is more or less a content producing function as a whole. Yeah. And the challenge that I often see is... What happens is there's no central organization governing the production of content, so there's no consistency in the strategy. Yeah. Which also means that you've got product marketing sitting over here cranking out content to promote the product. You've got PR doing another thing, cranking out content. Yeah. You've got your sales teams cranking out content, but there's no like centralized oversight, which yeah. means instead of being treated like a creative, not a creative asset, a strategic asset yeah. that drives ROI, uh -huh. it's treated as ad hoc production. Yeah. And so that random gets, acts of content. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. And so that gets companies, whether they're B2B or B2C, into a lot of trouble. Yeah. Because content, if it's not governed properly, thought through properly, it can also get expensive yeah. and inefficient if you're doing that. So yeah. I think that's a problem across the board. Yeah, totally. I see I've seen that in so many roles and I'm yet to be in a company that's sort of really cracked it, but um yeah. <laughs> we'll keep exploring it. Lindsay, want to so obviously your experience in brand. Mm-hmm. In my mind, content 
has a big role in bringing a brand to life. Yep. Do you agree with that? And can you like talk us through how, what that might look like? Yeah, I mean... Con- it's a huge question. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge question, yeah. So it's the question is more or less, content has a role in bringing the brand to life and how does it do that? Yeah. I think it comes down a lot and oftentimes to what Devin Reed, who's a brilliant content Devin marketer, Reed, oh man. Um, would call like your brand's point of view. Mm-hmm. Whether, again, whether you're in B2B or B2C. Yeah. What point of view does your brand have on the world and what is its positioning so for example if we take Devin's example and you know a lot of us know Gong yeah um, so Devin's ex-Gong yeah and now, now Claire, Claire, Clary yeah, yeah. Clary brilliant, yeah. Fo- brilliant guy yeah um, he's a great LinkedIn follow exactly follow yeah. him if you haven't follow him and subscribe to his newsletter I'm sure he'll appreciate the the shout out yeah um you know, he. If we take the example of Gong, you know, well, what is Gong's point of view on the world? Well, their point of view on the world was that most sales leaders make sales decisions based on their gut yeah. and not based on hard facts and data. Mm. So all of Gong's brilliant content strategy revolved around giving their target audience the data from Gong Labs, I believe mm. it was, to prove that like actually data works. Yeah. So that was their perspective on the world and that was really infused through a lot of their brand personality they made a lot of interesting choices in brand strategy yeah. if you look at what uh their cmo at the time yudi did yeah he's about amazing dis- too yeah around distinctiveness like okay well what are the color codes mm. of our industry well a lot of people are traditional boring flat colors well what mm. do they do the exact opposite they're leaning into that purple into that really yeah. bright you know uh fuchsia i think it was totally so what they did is just to really hammer those memory cues brands are about mm. building what a lot of marketing scientists would call, you know, salience, uh, memorability, yeah. distinctiveness, um, anything coming out of uh, Jenny Romagnac, Brian Sharp, Mark Ritson. Read all three of them if you don't, because yeah. they're brilliant, brilliant marketing scientists. Write um, those names down. Exactly. They work a lot on what we call marketing effectiveness. Uh-huh. So not just, okay, well, what are you putting out as a marketer, but is it actually driving your bottom line? Is it driving your brand equity? Is it creating those memory cues and structures and your target consumers brains yeah so wow. that in a buying situation they're going to think of you and they're going to come to you yeah uh, and i think gong did it brilliantly right um, and so and what i'm hearing there is like being able to bring that and and stay top of mind almost yep. with the people that matter exactly it's about a whole facet of different things like you talk about the colors that yeah. you know and a lot of people when they say when you say brand would think logo colors and whatever yeah and that's that's a huge part of it but then you also talked about the content like repeating the message and yeah and, exactly yeah. so all to say, if we, if we bring it full circle, your content has to play a role in driving your positioning, driving your messaging, serving your target consumer, Yeah. but just really helping to build a lot of those memory cues too. Yeah. Um, and depending on what your product or industry is, like it's also going to play a big role in driving your authority yeah. and your legitimacy. Mm-hmm. So that can the way that you do that and the techniques you use to do that can vary a little bit depending again on what you're selling and whether you're working in B2B or B2C, but I'd say that that's sort of the the long and short of it. Yeah, it's about creating memorability for the brand as well. Memorability, authority, that connection with your consumer. Totally. Depending on the the buying cycle, which we'll get into maybe a little bit later. Yeah, totally. But yeah. And that memorability piece, I... I heard someone say once, when you're starting to get sick of saying it, that's when the audience is just getting it. Yep. So it's almost so much of it is like repetition or finding different ways to say the same thing in a slightly different way. Or yeah, there's a phrase we used to use when I was in tech and a couple of other different companies, but repetition never spoils the prayer. Yeah. Um, right. I'm not particularly religious, but I think yeah. that's a really nice sort yeah. of way to put it. And um, 
yeah, I think too many marketers today, and Ritson would probably agree with me on this, mm. too many brand marketers in particular, there's this urgency to like recreate a new campaign or recreate new content all the time and re redo, redo, re reinvent, reinvent. Because marketers are, for some reason, they want that novelty. Like yeah, it's like, sure. oh, I launched this campaign and it's huge and it's amazing and it's working. And yeah. But actually, again, the research shows that you need to drive the memorability. So what do you need to do? You need to reuse your assets. You need to invest yeah. up front and then use them five, six, seven. Obviously that can be a little bit different in different channels and in different parts of the funnel Yeah. and content in particular. Yeah. But uh, you know, if you think about your epic content pieces, the pieces you're gonna invest significant amount of budget in, like those need to be really evergreen. Like they yeah. need to be used, reused and just solid and last for, for longer parts of time, so. Yeah, awesome. I know one thing, Lindsay, we talked about on our briefing call was the times we're in and the economic uncertainty and different things. Mm -hmm. And you talked about smart CMOs looking to channels that have sort of lower CAC. Yeah. What does that mean for content? Obviously, maybe building a brand and content is is the way these smart CMOs are going. Yeah. How are they doing that? And what, what does that look like? You, yeah, you to put a little bit of context around this, yeah. I didn't mention that sort of the second half of my career, 20 maybe I did, 2016, 2017, I transitioned over into uh, startups and tech, Yeah. Um, which was really a really interesting change. Yeah. I was actually head of content working uh, at PBC Snooks on the yeah. Lancome account, the global Lancome okay. account. Okay, so agency side. Yeah, agency side and, and, and first B2B and then kind of a little bit more B2C and then I went in-house into startups and tech. I was hired at Uber as sort of um, one of their first content marketing managers on the writer side of things so very consumer yeah and I've more or less been in the startup land since yeah and cool. so coming back to your question of, of CAC and content being a really interesting play strategically right now given the economic environment I think that's particularly true for two types of businesses I think the first one is B2B because B2B tends to function in any case uh, a lot through content marketing and the second is startups mm. um, because startups will startups are typically under pressure to drive high amounts of growth and acquisition mm -hmm. at the lowest cost possible yeah and so Content can be a really smart way to do that because it allows you to create that community. That said, it's longer tail. Yeah. So you're not going to see, if you talk to a head of growth, you're not going to be able to tell them, okay, like, look, I'm going to build all this content and you're going to get like 50,000 users off of one piece. That's a lie. Yeah. Your tail is probably about one and a half to two years, depending on your industry. Yeah. That's that, a big commitment, but. Yeah, but, it is. You know. It is. But when you build it out right and you build those funnels out properly and you've got the right content, I like to call it content audience fit. Yeah. When you've got that and you found it, because it takes some time to find, it can be really powerful. I think a, a best in class example of, of this is actually Robinhood. Okay, yeah. So Robinhood, obviously fintech, uh, American. They had a hypothesis around like, well, how do we, how do we explode growth at a really low cost yeah. well we don't have the money to do massive top of funnel advertising campaigns yeah we're not there yet but we have this hypothesis that we can build these funnels out to acquire users and mm. it's exactly what they did they, they more or less hired what they called like media athletes right and brought them in-house so these were guys that could both write an article turn it into a podcast yeah. turn it into like an instagram post and like they just experimented wow um, i want to be a media athlete exactly so <laughs> Content marketers of the world uh, would definitely encourage you to get in the trenches, so to speak, and just get comfortable with also being makers. Yeah. Um, so it sort of speaks to that sense of like, you're not just doing something and then it's done, but you're like, 
yeah. repurposing it and you're thinking like the media. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, coming back to Robinhood, they really took an experimental approach and they were like, hey, we don't know what works. We don't know what's going to drive acquisition, but we're going to try every dang thing we can. Yeah. So they did. They tried podcasting. I think they tried YouTube. Oh, we, sorry, sorry, we're going this way. Um, they tried a lot of different things until they found what works. And yeah. they, then, then they scaled it. Yeah. Um, so, Very cool. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, Love yeah. that. Okay, well, I think we're getting back close to the cafe, and we're going to sit down and have a coffee. Awesome. It's going to be awesome. Good. Before we do that, Lindsay, mm-hmm. I wanted to see, are you up for doing the segment we call It's All Backwards? Yeah. Yeah, so I'll just introduce it here quickly, but it's a new segment. You're only the second person ever to do it, Ooh, I'm special. Yeah, very special. <laughs> and basically, what you got to do, Lindsay, is you got to just have a bit of a rant for 30 seconds about something in content or in the industry that's backwards, that people are... You know, that people are just not getting right right now. Yeah. And why. But the, the trick is you've got to walk backwards Ooh. while you're doing it, okay? So I'm going to, I'm, this is going to be fun <laughs> because full disclosure, I was a tour guide in college for four years. So oh, wow. uh, walking backwards is not that. So Let's see if know, I can still do this. You see if you can I'm still pretty do sure it. I can still do this. Let's do it, okay. Oh my gosh, it's all backwards. Literally everything is backwards. Right, we can do this. Let's uh, let's see how I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so my rant today, I'm going to come back to what we said at the beginning of this podcast, which is that I am very, very freaking tired of random acts of content. Yeah. Um, I can't understand. I've seen it in companies of many sizes, whether they're a little startup, which in theory you should be, I don't know, more tight knit and able to like solve this, or I've seen it in big freaking companies like you know the CPGs of the world. It's random acts of content everywhere. It's like okay, well, product marketing is going to create all this stuff around the product, and they're not going to tell the content team. The content team is understaffed, so they can't really help the product marketing team. The CMO has not decided what the operating model for the content team is. Are they a center of excellence? Are they an individual unit? What are they responsible for? What are their KPIs? Are they a consulting firm that sits in the actual marketing team? Are they a production agency that just spits out content based on briefs? Like there's so many things that um, CMOs and VP brands in particular just have not nailed. The smart marketers, the smart CMOs are gonna decide where they're gonna place that content team as well. So again, coming back to Robinhood that we were talking about, Robinhood for a while transitioned their content team to sit directly into product, which is a really smart move because then they could design all of the interfaces along the customer journey to support that. But so many people get it wrong. Love and that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a keep going, so. <laughs> so good, it's all backwards. Hey, sorry to interrupt that fantastic interview, but I just wanted to let you know that here at Content Marketing Commute, we're more than a podcast. We're actually an online community as well on Substack. So come on over to the Substack, link in description, www.contentmarketingcommute.com and subscribe. You'll get full access to bonus episodes, including the sit-down format, an extra 10 minutes of audio content recorded at the end of podcast episodes with our expert guests. You'll get full access to content marketing templates and how-to videos. This one's exciting. Access to the Content Marketing Book Club. Yes, a book club. A discussion forum on a new marketing book every month. And the ability to comment on publications and discuss 
key topics with other expert European content marketers. We all know doing content in Europe is different from our friends around the world, especially over the pond in the US. So this is the community for you if you are a European content marketer looking to level up your game, come and join my Substack, Content Marketing Commute, the online community for content marketers in Europe. For only five euros per month or 50 euros a year, you'll get access to all of that and the ability to share learnings and learn from other experts in this area. Head on over www.contentmarketingcommute.com. Here we are, no. Café Nemours, Palais Royal. Bonjour. So we're doing this one in, in sort of the middle of the day because, yeah, yeah. as you said, you're sort of, well, as I said, <laughs> I just put the word sabbatical out there. Yeah. But, you know, we're on our, we're obviously not on a commute, but we're taking it leisurely. Yeah. And we're having our coffee and it's... It's very French. Fantastic. It's very French. <laughs> Work-life balance. You just did your rant. You just yeah. did your It's All Backwards and I love that because... Yeah. Random acts of content. It's Ooh. not. It's not where we're at now. It needs to be aligned. It needs to be connected. Yeah. So important. The next thing we want to talk about. I want to get into this B two B versus B two C thing. Yep. With you, Lindsay. Um, so you've worked in both B two B and B two C, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing more and more a trend of like B two B being like. Okay, it's not boring to boring anymore. It doesn't need to be boring. <laughs> I've never heard boring that. Boring to boring. <laughs> I've never heard that, but it's a good one. <laughs> yeah. And like the sense of like, because we're talking to businesses, it has to be serious, you know? Mm, yeah. And I think that's changing more and more. But how do you see B2B borrowing things from B2C and that crossover now? I think a lot of it has to do with that, I guess, acknowledgement that at the end of the day, you're selling to another human being. Yeah. Like, so you're seeing a shift too from, I guess maybe what you would say call seriousness in terms of like the content execution. Yeah. Uh, and brand strategies are for B2B companies are changing too. Yeah. Like a lot of SaaS companies are again, waking up to the fact that, okay, well we're selling to another human being mm. um, and we need to be distinctive in the market. So like, how do we do that? Well, we can't communicate and look like everyone else, can we? Yeah. So I'd say that's where B2B right. is borrowing a lot from B2C. Yeah. Um, cool. And I think digital in particular is driving a lot of that because they're using a lot of the same channels. Mm. Like whether it's LinkedIn, or Instagram, yeah, um, and I mean channel choice is a whole other topic, but digital is sort of forcing that. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I'm seeing is more B two B marketers getting a sense that really it's about the outcomes. Like whatever the thing where is that we're selling, it's yeah. like sure it's a tool, but it's going to make your life a bit easier, or it's going to it's going to make your job easier. It's going to make you look better yeah, in front of yeah. your boss, right? Yeah, exactly. Versus like buy our tool because it does XYZ technical Yeah, crap. so again, it's that shift of uh, us talking about ourselves and our products and being very, as the French yeah. would say, like looking at your own belly button yeah, and uh, <laughs> like talking to your consumer yeah. and being interested in your consumer's pain points yeah. and understanding what their perspective on the world is. Um, totally. But again, digital drives a lot of that shift because that that is basically, you summed up the difference between, I'd say, pre-digital and post-digital. Mm. Um, so right. I think you're, you're, you're right about that. Yeah, cool. So B2B, B2C, and often that's the distinction we make. Bonjour. On va commander un café. Un allongé, s'il vous plaît. Prends-moi un café crème, s'il vous plaît. Merci. That's us in our best French, Lindsay. Go <laughs> us. Wow. Go us. Anglophones in a French world. <laughs> I was going to say, like, often we think of ourselves like, I'm a B2B marketer, I'm a B2C marketer. Yeah. 
is that always the best distinction to make? Is that really two different camps nowadays? Like mm. we just talked about how there could be crossover. Yeah. Are there other ways to think about content as a, you know, industry thing or yeah. you talked about sales cycle. I thought that was a really cool point. Yeah. No, it's a really good question and I get a lot of this from more junior content marketers and so um, you may have you know, a sort of predilection to like, oh, I want to do more B2C or I want to do more B2B. And yeah. I, 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 yeah, I don't know that that's the best way to approach it. I've found that what's more important is understanding the way that content is being used to sell the product or to, to help the consumer. So yeah, it's real interesting. Um, there's, there's some similarities sometimes between certain consumer verticals or categories and, and B2B. I think I was just in fintech. Yeah. I'd say fintech and the way that you would use content marketing in fintech, it's much closer to the way you would in B2B. Mm. Whereas when I was doing uh, cosmetics and perfumes and things, yeah. that's radically different. So I think it has more to do with the product yeah. that you're selling the, the, and the marketing mix that's required to sell that product. So again, when I was in Rideshare at Uber, the content marketing mix leaned heavily on social media. Well, why did we lean on social media? Because ordering a ride is not yeah. a high investment in terms of a consumer purchase. Sure. I find that the higher, the more investment you're asking the consumer to make in your product, yeah. the longer the sales cycle, the more you're going to have to like yeah, think see. through your channel mix really, really tightly. Yeah. Um, and, and, and in a sense, you're going to need to think about the journey you're taking someone on with content. Exactly. So like if we go back to Uber example, mm -hmm. you talk about social media. Yeah. How would you summarize the rest of the content strategy at Uber like for rideshare? Because like you said, it's a very momentary decision someone's taking. Yeah, I mean, I guess in that case, I'm talking a lot about the B2C side of Uber because it, yeah. you know you have to remember that uh, yeah. that platform is actually, it's it's a marketplace, it's two-sided. So they also yeah. had, there's a B2B activity, it's but you're marketing to drivers, right? which is sure. a whole other story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on the rider side, on the consumer side, like I'd say that the, the preoccupation is you want to have a really strong brand. Mm. You need a really strong brand equity so that people, one, recognize you in, the, in a spontaneous buying situation. Uh, Rideshare, we knew from a lot of insights and persona research that that is a very modal choice. Yeah. You make a decision to order a ride based on the weather. Okay, it's raining. I don't want to walk in the rain. Right. It's contextual. So you need to drive that top of mind mm. uh, and that connection through culture in many ways mm. to drive that spontaneous purchase. Yeah. Yeah. Create that habit. Yeah. Um, and so social played a really, really important part in that. I think it still does for them. Yeah. Um, but above and beyond that, it's the strength of the brand. Yeah. And the trust in the brand. Trust in the brand. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And not necessarily like, you know, it would be super weird if Uber was saying, here's five ways to order your Uber. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, I mean, <laughs> you know they, what I mean? they did. A, so back when I was there, they did a lot of like that. I don't want to say that kind of content because it wasn't like how to order an Uber. That, yeah. that is what I would typically call like product marketing content right right which is a whole nother again story yeah um it's a shame because i feel like i could do five podcasts with you you might not do that because i think most people understand how to do it now yeah um but you but you, it's more about the recollect it's more about that momentary recollection of i need to book a new uber based or, on uh, basically i don't want to take public transport i want to choose this yeah. mode of transportation versus anything else yeah yeah um yeah so yeah i think they chose their channels wisely smartly yeah um, but yeah the way you're gonna do that based on the frequency of the product and the investment you're asking the consumer to make yeah is different so like, let's bring it back down to 
other industries and other products. Yeah. Um, I love, 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 uh, many of you might have heard of this, but again, I'm just throwing out a lot of recs here today. Um, I love Reforge. So Reforge is a learning platform. It's coming out of Silicon Valley, built by a lot of investors coming from Andreessen, um, but just really, really smart people that have been working in tech and product in general. Uh, obviously, it's a big part of my background. Nice. Um, but they have this framework called IECD theory. So IECD theory looks at the natural frequency of product usage by your target consumer. Okay. So for example, um, a Slack, which is basically you've got a built-in frequency to Slack. You're going to yeah. use it every day if you yeah. use it. You create that stickiness, we would mm. say, naturally. Then you have products like, let's look at uh, Zillow. Obviously, my references are very American, but uh, Zillow real estate platform. Yeah. The average real estate transactions every seven years. Yeah. You are less in market as a consumer yeah. than you are in market. The time you're in market is very totally. short. So what smart companies are doing is they're looking at the, the, that natural stick frequency and stickiness, and they're asking themselves, how do we increase stickiness with the consumer, the frequency with which they're going to interact with us? Yeah naturally without necessarily fixing the, the actual product stickiness and the way that a lot of them are doing that mm. is obviously content yeah so what did Zillow do well they started tapping into like their CRM and said mm. okay well you may not be in the market to, to sell your home now mm. but you might be in two or three years so yeah. how do we keep how do we feed yeah. you good smart content totally. about how to increase the value of your home in the lapse of time between those transactions. Yeah. Um, and I find that the smart, again, the smart companies, whether they're B2B or B2C, that's the way they're thinking. Yeah, really They might cool. not know that they're thinking that way, but they yeah. are. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think that's yeah. that's such a good example because Zillow, that's a B2C. Yeah. That's a B2C company, right? Mm -hmm. But the nature of the way they need to do content is so different to the likes of an Uber that's also B2C. Oh, yeah. Right? And exactly. like, so saying that it's B2C, saying I'm a B2C content marketer, yeah. it almost means nothing because no. you could be, whether you're working at Uber or Zillow, that's the yeah. two different worlds. And I love this idea of looking at content through the, the, the user journey and the frequency of use because I find that B2B is also by and large, an infrequent product. Yeah. It's a product that you're going to sell yeah. on long cycle. Right. Um, you might need your product marketing content to help you increase the frequency of usage through product adoption. Yeah. Um, but in order to get that sale to generate that lead, yeah. you're going to be doing a lot of long tail infrequent like nurture. Right? Sure. Totally. Um, so the, again, the channels you're going to use to do that mm. are going to be different than maybe say what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I really like that sense of, um, you know, even for me as a B2B marketer, I always think of myself as B2B. Yeah. But, you know, I could work at a Zillow. Like, that's quite transferable skills in terms yeah. of the journey. In B2B, we're, we're used to saying that's a longer-term play, right? Yeah. And, and we need content to feed the whole journey, yeah. keep us top of mind, like you were saying, when 95% of our audience is not ready to buy right now. Yeah. But there's B2C stuff that's, that's the same. So. Yeah. So exactly. that's really interesting, yeah. Yeah. So in that in that case, I try to encourage younger content marketers, and I wish I'd been given this advice when I was starting out. Yeah. One, think about the product that you are going to be selling, whether it's a B2B or a B2C product. Yeah. Think about the frequency of purchase of that product and think about, okay, if I bring it down to a tactical level, are those things that I'm interested in learning? Am I interested mm. in learning this kind of channel mix? Am I interested in like yeah. taking this approach? Because yeah. KPIs can also differ. Yeah. So be on the B2B side, you're looking a little bit more at like pipeline, obviously. Yeah. Um, on the B2C end, you're looking at, okay, well, how do I actually attach what I'm doing in content, the mm. output, yeah. to the outcome, and the mm. outcome is sales and revenue. Yeah. It's really, really hard to make direct correlations and B2C content marketing between the content you're mm. creating and 
the revenue you're generating. Yeah. It's almost ridiculously hard. You're looking at marketing mix modeling. It's incredibly tough. Yeah, on the impossible. B2C side, you're saying. Yeah, on the B2C side, because yeah. you're looking a little bit more at correlations. It's yeah. hard to prove causation. Right. And in some ways, I envy B2B because I feel like inferring causation or mm. like trying to show that is a little bit easier. Right, sense. right. So. Especially if, I don't know, especially if you're following that old playbook that kind of sucks where you're just getting people to download stuff from oh, forms. Oh, white papers. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very easy to... Uh, to measure, I yeah, guess. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, measurements. Oh, we could do another podcast on measurement, my friend. Yeah, oh, we, we need to. Get five to. of us together in a room, get yeah. a panel of content marketers, let's talk about measurement. That'd be so good. <laughs> That'd be so good. I think we've ch- chatted a little bit about social media now, Lindsay. Yeah. And like, I'm, you know, we talked about that earlier with brand. In, in a lot of departments, in a lot of teams, you've got people who like specialize in social media. Yep. Yeah, but yeah. I, I never fully understood that. This is my point of view because I feel like Social media is content. Yeah. How do you see it? Like, Again, I think it comes down to the product that's being sold, the marketing strategy, and what your objectives are. So yeah. I struggled with this a lot, to be honest, at Uber, because I always felt like uh, content was like, in French, we'd say, uh, l'enfant pauvre. L'enfant like, it was sort of social media that was the star. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, content was kind of reduced to SEO in many ways when yeah. I was at Uber, which is a shame because it could I have been. I find that a lot. Like when yeah. when people say content, they a lot of people immediately think SEO and think you're a writer. Exactly. Which, you're a producing function. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which exactly. is so much more than that. It's so it yeah. takes strategy and thinking and like I yeah. wouldn't even think of myself as a writer. I can write, but it's not what I'm. Well, what I do, you know? And future topic, like, let's not even get into the future of SEO evolving with AI and, like, what's yeah. that going to look like with uh, more and more, like, Google, you know, you've got, what are they calling it? Like, no-click search. Yeah, it's yeah. It's a whole other ballgame. Like, right, totally. Um, but to come back to this question around, well, in some companies, content and social are separated. Should they be? Does that make sense? Um, yes and no. I mean... Again, I just came out of fintech, uh, spoke with a lot of content marketing leaders across fintech, particularly yeah. in the States, because they, you know, they've got a little bit of a advance on us yeah. here in Europe. But if you talk to, for example, NerdWallet, talk to the VP of content at NerdWallet, brilliant woman, um, their entire content marketing team is composed of like ex-financial journalists who really right. know their topic. You need that expert- expertise in, oh, in financial... Yeah systems payments banks yeah um that's a great topic to get into even is that sense of like you've got all these content marketers who just know how to like write or how to sort of do marketing Uh, yeah but what people are really looking for in the content is the expertise exactly so exactly it's it's tough you know coming out of fintech i knew that the most important critical thing i could do over time was to create a space for expertise and really build a team that you know, would become financial literacy experts. Right. Like, it, you know, I wasn't certainly when they hired me. Yeah. Um, I think any good content marketer who's worth their sauce, mm. the first thing they're going to do when they get the job is really become the expert on their company's topic. Yeah. And that was something I was trained to do early on in my career. And I, I credit right. Angie with that. And one of my first clients was Air Liquide, which is French industrial gases. By the wow. end of that time, I could talk to you and I could tell you that there's nitrogen in your salad packets to keep your salad fresh. Oh, yeah. Um, I could name all the industrial gas. Like, it was really wow. uh, yeah. a learning curve, but really interesting and cool. seemingly unsexy, but actually sexy. <laughs> um, but coming back to, to this idea, like, when I talked to the VP of, of you know, content editorial over at NerdWatt, um, her, she, she oversaw social. 
Yeah. Because they knew that to be legitimate, to give their users the best possible advice and expertise, the same team had to be overseeing all channels. Mm. And so their journalists were, again, they were media athletes. Yeah. They said, okay, we can write an article about mortgages and just as well as we can create like a short reel on yeah. that. And that was really important to that team. And, and I think in, in those cases, it makes sense. Mm. Um, when you have, say, like uh, another one of my favorite products, like Duolingo. Oh, yeah. Uh, Duolingo. They do social really well, actually. Yeah, but yeah. again, their, their content strategy is yeah. leads heavy into social because it's very consumer focused. So yeah. in that sense, it makes maybe more sense to only have a social team yeah. and maybe focus less on more traditional forms of content marketing. Yeah. Again, it, it all comes down to frequency of product, yeah. consumer, what are you selling, what's the buying cycle? And so yeah. in, in that way, that's a more interesting lens to me than am I B2B or am I B2C? Yeah, totally. Yeah. What I'm hearing from you overall is that it's not, there's not one way to do this. And I think nope. for too long, like we've had this idea of like, this is how you do content and like especially oh, no. in B2B, like the playbooks <laughs> and we talked about the yeah. forms and the white yeah, papers and yeah. the crap. And like people are so over that, and I'm so overdoing that. I like, I mean, but that's digital from like 20 years ago. It is, yeah. Like, uh, I'm, yeah. you know. And there's so many different ways to do it, and so many creative ways to approach it. Yeah. You can have social in your team. Sometimes it makes sense not to. Like, at you the, know, I don't know. At the end of the day, it also comes down, and I would hammer this to my teams. What is the value that you're giving your audience? Yeah. So many times marketers lose focus of the audience, and this is where I think journalists and people who are coming out of media yeah. companies have a real edge. Is Content is their product. Yeah. So exactly. they have to have that mentality of like, this has to provide value because yeah. if it doesn't, we're so oversaturated with content, yeah. things we could read, things we could watch. Totally. Like we're just gonna we're just gonna pass by you. Yeah. So if you're not, you don't have that expertise and you're not providing the value, then why are you creating the content? Yeah. Like that could I should have made that my rant. Like honestly, I should that would have been. You got another, another rant. rant. Yeah, exactly. Rant. I'm full of them. I'm, I'm partially French now, so. Yeah. Um. It comes actually now, and it's so true. Like. Why are you even doing it? I, th I feel like a lot of B2B companies, they just know that content's something you do. Yeah. And you have to have a blog, so let's yeah. just write a few blogs, whatever. And then it, it, yeah, it comes back to like, why are we doing this? Like, what is the thing we're but trying to drive? I would for? argue that we are in the post-blog post world, post my blog friends. World. Post yeah. blog world. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can obviously build a lot of traffic in terms of SEO of certain blog properties, but is that actually going to drive results for mm. you? Um, you know, we started looking in my most recent role, like looking at the conversion rates. Yeah. Well, what you find really quickly is that you've got like two or three blog posts that are driving most of the conversion off your yeah. blog property. Everything else you're, you're creating obviously helps you drive search engine ranking yeah. and helps Google to understand that, okay, actually you are an authority on this topic, which yeah. is important in digital marketing. But again, I just really question, well, what's the future of that given yeah. uh, no-click search and given the way AI is headed? Totally. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. It just speaks to the thought that actually it takes it takes sitting down figuring out what you want to achieve and yeah. how you want to drive it and like yeah. and then like ripping up the playbooks and being like being brave enough to like do it. something different I mean and and yeah. the fact that everyone's doing the same thing yeah. almost makes that uh you know, there's green space to do something yeah, different. exactly. And this is where I admire Gong a lot because I felt like Gong had the balls to go all yeah. in on one channel. Yeah. They knew exactly we're going to go, let's do less but better. That's another mistake yeah. marketers make is like they try to do too much, yeah. especially in the content world. It's like, okay, we got to be on Pinterest. we got to be on TikTok. we got to be on Instagram. we got to be yeah. on all these channels. But the challenge of that is like if you spread yourself too thin, yeah. you're actually not going to drive much forward. Yeah. So I You're just doing everything kind of averagely versus yeah. something really amazing. Exactly. So I just yeah. admire Gong again for the, the courage they had to go all in on one channel. Yeah. Uh, really experiment. I'm sure they did a lot of experimentation and um, 
yeah, they knew that their, their target audience was there. And, yeah. and just to come back real quick, another thought. Yeah. I think one of the big ways that B2B dif- is different and maybe even easier in some ways than B2C is, is it comes down to the persona, like what audiences yeah. are you talking to? So usually in a B2B scenario, you know the pain point of your target consumer. You know more or less, you maybe have one or two target consumers. Yeah. So it's a bit easier to craft some content. Totally. When you are in consumer, mm. you could have up to five or six different yeah. segments yeah so I know in rideshare we had like five or six right and they all behave very differently yeah and they were all very different demographically mm. so it was like oh how do i you know how do you how yeah. do you do that and, and that's interesting for the brand as well because then often that's like who do you want to know you and how how do you want to be known yeah and if you want six different types of people to know you yeah. in a certain different way yeah it's mind-blowing. Yeah. And then, we, you know, we struggled with this in fintech a bit, too, because we knew that, like, in terms of financial literacy and behaviors, just five or six different segments again. Yeah. Like, um, and one of the interest, most interesting things we knew is, like, the more financial literate you were, the more financially confident you felt. Yeah. And that was independent of income. So yeah. you could have less, be earning less, but if you knew how to manage it better, you felt better about mm. it. So it's what I find so interesting is in some ways on the consumer end, it's very behavioral. Yeah. How does content help you modify those behaviors? Right. Like, yeah, yeah. You know? And that's probably something B2B could borrow. You know, it's still about changing someone's mind or changing their behavior even yeah. on the B2B side. And um, yeah. yeah, I think we could think about that a bit more as well. Yeah. yeah. And another just interesting thought before we... So many edge, amazing edge thoughts. Toward a, edge toward a conclusion here <laughs> is, um, you know, again, just most recently, um, the way I was thinking about strategy and content at at N26 was that there's really two different uh, buckets, so to speak. We had, you know, the top of funnel acquisition, uh, awareness acquisition, right? And then I would say, like, you've got a whole other set of channels and strategies on retention engagement. So I was telling my teams, like, you know, you're probably looking at maybe more traditional consumer content marketing on the top of funnel. Like, how do we become known? What do we become known for? How do we build trust? How do we build authority? Um, and how do we build that pipeline of, of leads? Yeah. People that are eventually going to open a bank account with us. Yeah. And then on the, the retention engagement side, once we get you into the bank, well, how do we build into the product financial literacy, education, tools yeah. that are going to make you feel more confident banking? To keep you with us. Or, to and, keep you with yeah. us. To keep you sticky. To keep you... Yeah. Uh, most most people are multi-bank now. Like yeah. Most people have multiple accounts and they're kind of shopping around, well, where do I want to get my mortgage? Where do I want to do this? And so... Well, how do you build that relationship through mm. the, the digital experience mm. to make you stay? Yeah. So, I don't know. I it, found a lot of times, that's interesting you talk about that because I found a lot of times the expectation is that my role finishes mm. when they're in the door. Yeah. And then it's like customer success and they'll deal with that or whatever. But marketing to your customers and content for your customers so crucial to yeah. the adoption and to exactly it's not enough to get them in the door yeah. what I was interested in understanding and, and didn't get to it because it was incredibly hard from a data perspective and just we weren't quite there in terms of tooling but what I wanted to understand is okay well if we bring you in the one thing that's really interesting to know as a content marketer is what's the quality of the consumer that yeah. I brought in what's yeah. the three month retention what's mm. the six month retention what's, mm. what's the engagement looking like mm. because if I'm bringing in crappy cohorts mm. that's not going to serve my business long term yeah so um, I think startups, many of them, and, and maybe N26 did this a little bit, mm. is you're so focused on hyper-growth that you aren't um, focusing on the quality of the cohort right away because yeah. you want that explosive growth to show your, your investors, right? You want yeah. VC to go, oh, man, you've got 
you know, 2x, yeah. 3x, 4x growth. Sure. But that eventually catches up with you when you're starting to mature and you want to head toward mm. uh, possibly like an IPO. Yeah. Um, and even after, because if you don't have quality cohorts and you don't have that lifetime value, yeah. well, then you're a little bit up a creek without a paddle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I think uh, that's an interesting data point for cutting. It's really interesting. Yeah. And what you just mentioned there, like we've, we've hit on so many different awesome topics and so many <laughs> cool insights. But um, it's almost that battle between like, what the company needs to show for the board and for investors versus what we're trying to build long term. Oh, man. I've never been on a cracker. We, we could do it's another. So hard. Uh, we could do another episode on uh, being a content marketer in yeah. uh, a non-public company. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we need to go back and revisit these little snippets and then yeah, just like exactly. make a whole episode. Exactly. We can make a because series. yeah, because oftentimes it's like it's almost like counterproductive. What we're trying to drive for investors and show them on paper can in some ways be counterproductive for what we're trying to build yeah, long term exactly well the startups are a game of how do you balance short and long yeah and you lean a little bit more towards short to be honest yeah. in my experience yeah but obviously with the yeah. getting along yeah so there's totally. always a, a tipping point right yeah but. i've struggled there because i feel like I'm, I'm quite um i don't know i'm quite sort of like not visionary but like mm. it should be this way like this is the dream of how we're going to build this amazing thing yeah and then you and then other people's personalities are like but we need to sell stuff short term like we need to numbers like right now yeah and i understand that and i and i need to be more probably like that but i'm like but we're trying to build this big beautiful thing that connects all together and is amazing Mm. do you know what i mean (laughs) yeah well i i would say that the the way out of that crux for a content marketer is to approach everything with an experimental mindset so get a little bit back to fundamentals and and sort of go in it with okay I know some things. Yeah. I don't know everything about what works. Yeah. So how can I be curious and what am I going to test? Yeah. And how do I just test and test and test and test? And, you know, I heard this from Robin Hood as well. Like, if it's not working, just kill and move on. Yeah. Like, just keep, you know, um, I forget the phrase they had for it. It was a pretty brilliant one. Kill at a high rate. Totally. Like, especially in that kind of context. Yeah. Um, And and I feel like I'm real. I I have my ideas in my heart almost. And it's really important to me. So I think learning to not have your strategy in your heart so much but like be quite nimble is, is a really cool thing to, yeah. to be able to do it and it's more fun to be honest yeah like if you're doing if you're if you approach it you know a little methodically as well and bring a yeah. little bit of method to it you um, can keep learning yeah and things that work things might work for a certain period of time and then stop working so yeah. nothing is ever permanent in our mm. world especially channels we know that if you've been yeah. in content marketing for a while you know that about 20% of your content is driving 80% of your results yeah it's just about figuring out what that 20% is for sure so yeah, yeah. love it Lindsay very cool okay Lindsay well that was fantastic thank you so much for yeah, your time delighted to be here um, we've just hit on like every single topic under the sun in marketing <laughs> <laughs> it was so good do you have any just final yeah. words just to wrap us up Yeah, I would just uh, encourage all the content marketers out there, no matter where they are in their career, keep learning, keep growing, uh, don't be afraid to experiment. And uh, I think uh, this is a field that's going to be around for a while. Again, it'll it'll evolve over time, as it always does. But uh, it's it's exciting. So thank you for having me. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Lindsay. We're going to finish off our coffees. And uh, we'll see you next time on Content Marketing Commute. Au revoir. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao. Thanks for pressing play and listening all the way through on this episode of Content Marketing Commute. If you did enjoy it, please do subscribe, tell a friend about this podcast and leave us a five-star rating and a nice review. I'd so appreciate it. Also, do feel free to come along to www.contentmarketingcommute.com and check out all the additional resources and bonus content 
that's there. Why not subscribe over there? You'll love it, I promise. See you next time.